Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the National Deer Association's Coffee and Deer Podcast. With your host, as always, I'm Nick Pinizzato, here with the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. Today, we're going to talk with the man who shot one of the biggest whitetails in North America this season, Jason Thomas from Ohio. Real privileged to have Jason on to tell this story. Uh, this may end up being the new Ohio typical record. And then, you know, we're talking big bucks in Ohio. We're talking about some giant deer there. And this certainly is one of them. It's a deer that had a 22 and a half inch spread. He had a 26 and 29 inch main beams, tines close to 14 inches and the green score. I saw a couple of different numbers published. One was 208 and five eighths and the other one was 211 and four eighths. Uh, when you're starting a score with a number with a two, it really doesn't matter. It's big. <laughs> so that's all you need to know. And it's an awesome story. I love his creativity uh, creativity, and how he found a way to get it done. So we're really looking forward to bringing that to you. But before we do that, let's say hello to a man that's holding a reservation for one in his freezer as we head down the home stretch of deer season, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. Mike, yeah, we're happy still New battling. Year, yeah, happy New Year. We're still battling though, aren't we? We are still we are still battling. Yeah, but I mean, I had a good hunt the other night. I saw eleven, uh, just nothing in range. So um, we got to get that dialed in. And like you said, I'm I'm looking for one more one more place in the freezer for this upcoming year, and I, I'm running out of days. Yeah, we're all running out of days, and it's interesting. You and I are both having some wind issues. It's been very frustrating. Uh, we'll get into that more after the interview, but the, we had the show about hunting the winter season. We probably didn't spend enough time talking about um, all the things that are really difficult that you that you just can't control out there. And so changing winds and changing weather on a moment's notice, and it's just a challenge. It's the hardest time of the year to hunt, but I enjoy the challenge. You enjoy the challenge, and we're still trying. But uh, at any rate, hey, let's get to a story from a guy that did figure it out and on a really awesome deer. And let's not keep our listeners in suspense any longer. Here's our interview with Jason Thomas. You know, Mike, we can't seem to help ourselves. We keep inviting these guests onto the show who have shot bigger deer than you and I have. And so uh, I get excited about these stories and you and I share these back and forth and, and talk about them. And this one I got excited about as well for a lot of reasons. And uh, we're going to get into all of that here with our guest today, Jason Thomas. Jason, I would describe as just uh, looking at his Instagram account. And aside from a guy that's killed a big deer here, he's killed more than more than one big deer. He's an all around outdoorsman. And it sounds like it's just a big part of his family. So Jason, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'll have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into this awesome deer you just shot. Okay. Yeah, so my name is Jason Thomas. Um, you know, I live in uh, kind of central Ohio. Um, you know, I grew up. My dad, uh, my dad got me into the outdoors at a very young age. He was a, uh, he was a trap. He, you know, did a lot of trapping um, through the winters. Um, here in Ohio back in the, uh, the 80s and into the early 90s. And uh, that's kind of how he kind of introduced me to the outdoors. Um, he was also, he, uh, you know, he deer hunted. He, uh, in 1989, he actually shot the state record with uh, typical with a crossbow here in Ohio. Jeez. So um, he, uh, you know, he got me, got me introduced at a very young age. And then it just kind of, 
you know, going out for, I remember going out for Ohio's first youth season with a 410 uh, Remington 870 Express and I uh, got my first deer and, you know, it just kind of, you know, kind of took, took hold of me and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of grown into an obsession that I pretty much, you know, think about year round, you know, um, and I do, you know, I, I do do some stuff out, you know, out West and, you know, over the last six or seven years, that's kind of become uh, more of a passion than maybe whitetail hunting. But, um, you know, um, I guess, you know, this year I put the going out West on hold and focused on, uh, you know, focused on whitetail hunting here in my home state because, uh, you know, there in August, I found a deer that uh, was pretty special. So, well, we're going to talk about that deer. It definitely yeah. is special. And uh, yeah, it's cool that the the tradition of killing record book deer is part of the family. And so, you know, that's a pretty good competition there. You could try to beat your dad out for that state record. <laughs> yeah. Um. So anyway, let's get into it a little bit here because I was, uh, is how I often find these is I'm just sort of browsing through social media and I was going through, actually it was the meat eater newsletter. And I'm looking through and I saw the story and it, and they all catch your eye, but I saw that this was in Ohio, uh, which is where I used to live and hunt the bunch. And so that caught my interest even more. And I started reading through the story. I'm like, you know what, this is, this is pretty cool. This isn't, you know, every once in a while you run into someone that literally just like lucked into the deer of a lifetime. They had no idea it was there and they kill it. Right. That happens. Uh, I wish I was that lucky sometime. Um, yeah. But that's not what this is. And there are a lot of elements to this that I thought were pretty cool. So we invited you to come on the show and we appreciate you doing that. And so uh, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions and sort of let you take it away. But I just want to, I want to start off with this because I think it sort of sets the stage and it's important. Um, the first thing is you're no stranger to big deer. You're hunting in an area that has them and you're pursuing the mature deer. So you're showing a lot of patience, but tell us about the first time you laid eyes on this particular deer and how it was different. Yep. So I guess first time I saw the deer, um, was running, uh, cameras back in, uh, 2021 on this particular property. Um, you know, he was just a big mainframe eight, but you could tell he was young, you know, he didn't have a lot of mass, but he was wide, you know, he was, you could tell he was real young, but, um, you know, was probably an inch, maybe an inch past his ears, two inches past his ears. Um, but had really, you know, great main beams and had really tall tines and, you know, the deer pretty much, you know, I saw that deer, you know, 12, 15 times that year, saw him, you know, early season, saw him during the rut, saw him late season. Um, and, you know, I told myself, you know, I was after a big deer, uh, that year, you know, big, heavy old deer, which at the time, you know, I ended up harvesting that deer in January. That was my biggest deer at the time. Um, you know, so that deer really wasn't even on my radar. Um, but I, you know, I knew, uh, man, if that deer makes it to next year, he could be really nice. Um, and you know, that's 2021 came and went, um, did not pick up any sheds from that deer. Um, you know, he, I knew he made it. Um, and then, you know, we, uh, um, the following year, 2022, he, uh, he wasn't on the farm at all. Um, I got maybe, you know, I'm thinking, you know, okay, we're, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I got to find this eight pointer, see what he turned into. And, 
Um, you know, I was running a ton of cuttybacks and nothing. Um, we had one picture middle of November um, of a deer dog on a doe that was, you could, it was real pixelated and, you know, you, it was at night and you could tell, like I showed it to people, you think that's a rack? Because if it is, I mean, those are some huge times. Mm. And that was the only, you know, if you even want to call it him, that was, would have been the only picture I had of that year. And um, a, a friend of mine and a family member of mine sent me pictures of a deer. It was a big nine pointer. And um, I realized I was looking at pictures, you know, a few miles away, but I was looking at pictures and you could tell um, short tines, giant, you know, wide, really, really tall tines, um, same characteristics as that eight pointer the year before. Um, and I, you know, I'm looking like, man, that's, it's gotta be that deer. Hmm. Um, but you know, there was only, only a couple of pictures that I knew of. Um, and those pictures were probably between the two buddy or two, you know, the family member and the buddy of mine, probably five, six miles apart. Um, and I'm situated directly in between and I don't have anything. Yeah. So, you know, I knew I'm like, you know, I didn't even think about that deer that year. I, I thought about him, but, you know, I knew like, well, I mean, you know, I better focus on, you know, killing a different deer because it's more likely not going to happen. So one of the things that's unique too, not I don't mean to interrupt your story, but I want to interject this while I'm thinking about it. So I know when I lived there that it would it would not be uncommon for a deer that you're seeing to be showing up on someone else's camera a couple miles away. Whereas no. yeah, where I live now, it's more forested, you know, where where I hunt, and I think that's more I think it's rare, more rare for that to happen. But where you're at in Ohio, uh the way things connect each other out there in big ag fields and whatnot, if a deer goes on a walk, he can be two miles in no time. And mm -hmm. so I think that's part of what you were experiencing there. Yeah. So, I mean, where, where I was hunting this particular deer, um, the year I'm trying to think what year it was, it was 2020, uh, had a friend of mine, um, my wife, I was after a deer that, was old he was nine and a half years old um i had five years of camera of trail camera history with this deer um and he um my wife killed him opening day of shotgun season in ohio mm. and posted a picture and somebody messaged me and said hey tell your wife congratulations um here's a picture you know and sends me a picture of that deer with the doe and i said and i looked at the date and i'm like that was last night and i said i said if you don't mind me asking where is this picture taken so he sends me a pen and it was 3.61 miles wow. straight line wow and that was it was the night it was like you know you know 11 o'clock on sunday and she killed him at 8 a.m on monday morning so in 12 hours, you know, that deer went from being with the doe 3.61 miles away to, you know, he was with two other bucks, um, you know, in a tree line on our farm. Yeah, that's so, incredible. I mean, it, yeah, my experience with that when I was at Hunting Central Ohio was uh, there was a, a big buck that he, 
he only it was weird but he literally would show up like the first day of archery season which is perfect uh, and he was i picked up his sheds the one year he's 160 inches just in shed length a really nice deer and i i ran into some people at the archery trade show that uh, one of my colleagues said hey these are so and so i think they hunt not far from you in ohio and we started talking and i said do you happen to have any summer pictures of this one particular deer and of course you're flipping through pictures and they were over two miles away and they're like, Oh yeah, we know that deer. He would always disappear off of us when hunting season came. Mm -hmm. And so we learned through that conversation that that deer was going over two miles. And in this case, this deer was like between three and four miles away before your wife shot him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've realized, um, well, trail cameras has helped everybody, I think, but, uh, um, the deer do, you know, deer travel a lot farther than what you think, especially in areas where it's not big timber. You know, I think big timber, maybe they, you know, maybe they stick, stay closer to their core areas, but up here where we hunt, I mean, it's not, it's not uncommon for them to, to travel a long distance. I mean, heck a deer, I mean, doesn't, I mean, some of these fields are six, seven, 800 yards long. I mean, that's half a mile and you yeah. watch a deer go right across it like it's nothing. So you know, a couple miles is nothing for them. So no, for sure. All right. So let's get back on this buck then. See. Yeah. So, um, see, we were at the end of 2022. So, um, you know, season came and went, um, my wife, it's funny enough, my wife shot a deer, um, late season, uh, last year in January. And I would put a lot of money on it that this deer is a, probably a twin. Um, hmm. you know, it's 160 some inch deer last year. Um, probably about the same size as, you know, what the deer I killed last year, he might've been 170 last year as a nine. Um, but the characteristics are identical. I mean, if you look at like, you know, there's a little tine that kind of sticks in, they both got the same, you know, and they're killing the same farm in the same field, 30 yards apart. How cool. Um, so, um, you know, she killed him last year, um, but, you know, I assume the deer made it. Um, there were, you know, nobody picked up any sheds that I knew of. I know a lot. I do a ton of shed hunting. I got a lot of buddies in the area. They do a ton of shed hunting. And, you know, nobody found any sheds from that deer. So, um, so I was out. It was August 14th of this year. And um, I was... Uh, going back in, you know, some trees had come down. So I was cutting trees and moving logs out of the way so I could get, uh, get back in, you know, where I was at. And, um, I had my cutting back cameras with me and I thought to myself, you know, I run, uh, they have battery packs where you can put, you know, extra D batteries in them where they'll pretty much last, you know, three, four months. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to go back in a part of this farm where I don't hunt, I leave it alone. And, I'm going to go back in here and hang one or two of these cameras up and just let them soak, you know, through the rut. And, um, I go back in there and I'm walking in and coming out of a bean field is there's eight bucks that come out of this bean field and they caught my eye. I saw them coming. Um, they were, I don't know, something spooked them, but they ran right in front of me about 40 yards. Mm. And the second to last year to come into the, into the woods, was the was you know the deer and i couldn't i'm standing there holding i got my bino harness on 
I've got my phone in my hand. I've got three cameras with battery packs in my other arm and I'm standing beside this big tree. And this deer's at 40 yards, just eating, browsing around, eating. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I got a nine, over nine minute video of the deer oh, um, wow. from that, that encounter. Um, and I, I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, I texted a buddy, you know, they kind of walked off and they never knew I was there. They walked off and, you know, I snuck out of there. Um, I hung a camera, got out of there. And that night I got a picture of him and, um, you know, I sent it to, there was two, there were two people aside from myself that had pictures of this deer that I, that I entrusted to, Hey, do not send this or tell anybody. And, you know, I'm, they're like, all right, you know, we won't. And the one guy was, uh, uh, actually the big Ohio big buck score that, uh, green scored it. So, you know, we, you know, I sent it to him. I'm like, dude, I said, I just found a deer. I'm like, I don't know what he's going to score. The video is kind of grainy. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of getting dark, but he's huge. You know, he's a giant 12 pointer. So, you know, I started, you know, from that point forward, I thought to myself, man, I've got to figure out like where this deer's living, where he's, you know, where he's bedding, where he's feeding at night. And everybody, you know, everybody knows deer. You know, through the summer, they're pretty visible. Um, so I knew I thought, man, you know, I I should be able to figure out, you know, I should be able to lay eyes on this deer. So you know, I started. Uh, I looked on the my go hunt maps and started, figure, you know, looking at anything I could to try and you know get new permission to hunt, get new permission to hang cameras, to glass, you know. Um, if you read some of those articles, you know, they, I, I was, you know, I've told people, you know, there's people that told me, you know, no, we don't allow hunting. And I say, well, you know, can I, can I run a, can I hang trail cameras? And we'll, you know, then they kind of look at you like some people don't know what they are. Hmm. Um, some people will let you, some people won't, you know, I had one guy, the only thing he let me do was glass. That's it. I could go in there and glass. And I, he let me do it, you know, for most of the summer. And then once season, once deer season started, like there was nights during deer season where I'd go hunt and I'm like, okay, well, I, I haven't seen this deer. There's no trail. I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go sit and glass and watch some, some, some fields from a distance and see if I can just catch a glimpse of them. And just once season started, that guy said, you know, Hey, you know, I'm, I, you know, deer season started, you know, I don't want this hat going on anymore. And he basically told me, you know, I couldn't go there anymore. No more glass. So then I lost, you know, I lost that spot. I'm kind of upset. Like, you know, you know, from that point, I could see a ton of different fields and, you know, that's kind of heartbreaking. So, um, and I do remember, um, I got a pretty good video pulling down some guy's driveway to knock on his door and pull in, you know, pulling up to the house and right next to his house in the woods, there's this deer 20 yards from this driveway standing there Amazing. looking at him. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. This deer is so big and he's right next to uh, this guy's house. Like this guy's got to know he's here. Um, and oddly enough, he, he said, no, you can't hunt. So uh, maybe he did. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was, it was boots on the ground, door knocking. I know 
I coach basketball. So, you know, I'm going to open gyms and shooting and stuff through the summer. And as soon as that stuff's over, I'm coming home, I'm going out, I'm glassing. I got two little girls at home, a wife. And, you know, there's nights where I'm putting the girls down for bed and I'm running out for the last half hour, hour of daylight, just, you know, driving roads, glassing. I pull, I just, I see nobody's coming. I just stop on the road and watch a field. Yeah. I want to backtrack a little bit, uh, mm -hmm. a couple of things that are important. And I think that make this story unique and you covered some of those. The first one is the knocking on doors mm -hmm. uh, th that is still doable these days. And you certainly yeah. use that to your advantage. You mentioned before we started recording that you don't have a lease. Uh, and so mm -hmm. you are looking for spots to hunt. I thought that was cool. And also the part about uh, just asking permission to even hang cameras, because even though you may not be able to hunt an area, you can still gain important information and then now you're delving into the next part of it that i think it's important and that is the level of effort if you want to kill a deer like this that it takes but before we jump to that uh mike you'll remember whenever i uh, found that buck down where or where you and i the farm you and i hunt on occasion like you were the only other human being on earth that i shared that picture with <laughs> so whenever i hear jason say you know, there were a couple people I trusted. Like, I didn't even send that to my dad. We're talking like 180-inch deer, which Jason for here is like a 250-inch deer anywhere else. Uh, and so, Mike, that's, I just wanted to, to show you that that's how, that's how much I trust you. And I would have been equally excited if you would have shot that deer. So, Well, I appreciate that. So uh, that makes me feel better that I'm held in that high of a regard. But, Jason, <laughs> let's back up a little bit before, because I know where Nick wants to take you next. But the one thing that I wanted to point out that I found most striking was once you laid eyes on that deer and you had that encounter with that one and the other eight bucks, what I want everyone to go back and listen to is there was a pivot point in your mind at that point where you actually went all in. And I think that's where a lot of hunters really fall short they kind of tell themselves you know why am i not shooting big deer why when i see one i don't i never get them and again it's hard i'm not saying that it's it's easy but there was a point where you immediately shifted your focus to learn as much as you could about that deer i'm not going to say no matter what but within legal reason no matter mm -hmm. what and that's something that not a lot of people have and for the people that are you know sitting there and not having success i think the most important thing is just to ask yourself what more could i do it doesn't have to be to the level of jason you know what jason did to get this deer but all of us can do more uh you know modify our lives a little bit still become you know be the the mom dad aunt uncle whatever that you need to be you know employee but you and I, Jason, it sounds like that's what you did. You you broke your life down and said, where and how can I find time to invest in this deer and potentially having success? And I think that that speaks volumes. Yeah, um, it certainly does. I mean, I, I know, you know, I can think back to, you know, even as, as recent as, you know, three, four years ago, um, not putting cameras out until October. You know, I, okay, I got my stand. I, I hunted in it last year. I changed the ratchet straps in it the summer. It's good to go. And then, you know, I would go out and put up and I, I, you know, sell cameras. I'd put sell cameras up. You know, I'd go out first week October. You know, season's already started, you know, and then it's okay. Well, I haven't stepped foot on the property or, you know, what, you know, 
I don't know what's around, you know, not really putting in that much effort. Um, you know, the last, really the last three, four years for me, uh, you know, I've started, you know, running cameras early, running cameras late, um, you know, trying to get, you know, supplements out or minerals or, you know, lucky buck, you know, I try and get that stuff out, you know, in May um, and try and keep, you know, just to get, and I'll put cameras on it and just, just to try and see what's in the area. That's something I used to not really do. Um, and it's kind of really, I mean, it's really helped just to know early on, you know, what's in the area. Um, and, you know, this year when, you know, that the next day I, I'm sitting at work and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've got to cover, try and cover as much, as much of this farm as I can with cameras. So I went online, I bought four more cutting back cameras and I'm like, you know, like this, I better, you know, I better get this deer because, you know, I, you know, cameras aren't cheap. Um, batteries aren't cheap. You know, I went and put in a food plot, um, you know, in a corner of a field, I put in a food plot, you know, something I've, never put any effort into um and you know if you look in some of the pictures i think there's one on meteors article he's standing in that food plot um you know and, and I, he was in there fairly often you know i wouldn't call him regular but he i would get you know once season started he was in that food plot more than he was in other places um you know this sounds and, to me like it's like Hey, I, I met this girl at the bar and like all of a sudden I start shaving a little bit more, cleaning up my act a little bit. And so it's kind of like uh, you laid eyes on this deer and it's like, hey, I'm going to change my ways and do everything I can to get close to this thing. Yeah, I mean, I would get up. That's what I mean, like I, it's, it's frustrating because you read comments on YouTube or these articles or whatever. and It's like, you know, people don't realize I would set my alarm, get up. And I would be driving along fields where I thought he, where I knew he was at, trying to catch a glimpse of him in the morning, you know, early enough to where, you know, then I could still get to work. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, that's what I'm thinking. Like, okay, well, he wasn't here last night. He wasn't in this field last night. Let me, let's see, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to drive by this field and see if he's, you know, feeding in the beans, you know, early in the morning. You know, just, just stuff like that, you know, just trying to lay eyes on as much as I could. Um, well, Jason, let's now, I'm, I'm sorry, we're getting off topic, you know, and everyone probably wants to hear how you killed this deer, but I want to just yeah. ask one more question in related to what you just said. So like the big thing is like social media can either be a, a hero or a zero. It can really um, build you up and it can really tear you down. Talk to people about how, you deal with that social media negativity because apparently you must have gotten some. You kind of made a, and again, mm -hmm. I'm not asking you to throw anybody under the bus, but oh. I think I think what I want to get to is as hunters, you know, it's to tear somebody down to make yourself feel better, not knowing the the amount of work and effort that they put into harvesting any deer. I don't care if it was a spike and a spike is legal in your state and you shoot a spike and someone busts your stones because it was a spike. In my opinion, that's wrong. So. Mm -hmm let's just listen to what Jason has to do. Cause I'm sure he got a lot of comments that I'm sure we'll just try and keep it clean and interesting, but um, you know, talk to like how, how you dealt with that. Well, first, the first thing I would recommend is don't answer back. Don't comment back. 
I haven't responded to a single message or anything. No comments, nothing. As much as I wanted to, I haven't. I, I haven't known, you know, uh, some guys did a YouTube video, people commenting on uh, Meat Eater, you know, Outdoor Life, my pictures, other people's pictures, Facebook, whatever. Um, you know, people, hey, did you see what these people are saying? You know, it's this guy thinks it was shot in the preserve. I'm like, well, you know, I'll show you these videos of this deer in, you know, this guy's front yard. I mean, I, he doesn't have deer fenced in, so it's definitely not a preserve, you know. Um, you know, and then it's, you know, they're you know, commenting on camo and crossbows and it's probably hunting on a, you know, he probably paid $8,000 for a lease or whatever, you know, um, just, just ignore it. I mean, because yeah, I mean, deep down, it's like, man, that, you know, every, everybody that's commenting on these, they're reading the articles because they're interested and they're, they're also hunters, but then they go through and they pick out any little negative thing that they can hold on to and they want to, you know, they make negative comments trying to bash each other. You know, you know, I, I, you know, I think the total number of hunters is declining, you know, and which is not good for the sport, but, you know, you know, we really, everybody really needs to be supportive of each of each other, whether, you know, yeah, a crossbow might not be legal in a state in one state and legal in the other, you know, if it's legal, it's legal. You know, I still have, I have my, my Matthews compound bow that I take out West archery hunting for elk. Um, you know, it's, I get too big a buck, you know, the reason I use a crossbow or switch to a crossbow is, you know, I've wounded bucks before because I get so worked up and anxious and nervous. You know, I make, I do, I make bad shots. It doesn't matter how much I practice. I just get so worked up. You know, I almost, I, you know, I just get target panic and, you know, so I switch, you know, it's more, I guess, more ethical to me, you know, yeah, it's definitely easier. You don't have to practice as much, but, you know, to me, it was an ethical decision. So, but as far as the comments, yeah, I mean, just, I just, I just try and ignore them. Um, you know, I knew that that didn't matter what, you know, um, you know, I could have taken the crossbow out of the pictures, uh, that would have alleviated a lot of it, but, uh, you know, I often am like, well, you know, this is what I shot him with. So I'm going to put it in the pictures and so be it. So I have, the yeah, same that's right. Crossbow, I mean, by the way, I got to say, I'm noticing it's the mission sub one XR. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why mine doesn't kill 200 inches, but, uh, at least I have the same one. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Um, well, I just want to well, say this and then we'll let Jason move on. Cause everyone probably wants to hear the, you know, the, the culmination of the story, but like at the end of the day, if you're a hunter, and I don't care how old or how young you are, you dream of shooting a the biggest buck of your life. And if it's a the biggest buck in your state or one of the top bucks in in the world, that's what we all dream about every year that we go to we go out there. We want to see that. You know, we visualize mm -hmm. that. And what I would say is, to anyone out there, before you make comments to anyone on social media, a young kid, uh, you know, a first time hunter, you know, someone that shot a doe you need to put yourself in their situation. I mean, if you were the person that shot Jason's deer, you need to actually say, Hey, what if I was this guy or this gal, what would I want to hear from anybody? Because I think it's just, we are so easily remove ourselves from the situation when it's not us. And it's so easy to throw mud that um, it just becomes a negative thing. So we need to do better people on the internet. We need to support, like Jason said, each other because it's not getting any easier to hunt. It's definitely not. Mm -hmm. Sorry. So go yeah. ahead. Yeah, I agree with that 100%.
So this deer disappears on you, doesn't it? Let's, let's get to that point because I know I'd, I already lost all my hair, but I'd probably grow hair back if that happened to me with a deer like this. Yeah. So, yeah. So the deer, he, uh, I had, I had a daylight picture of him the Saturday before gun, or before the season opened. I think what it opened September 30th or 29th, something like that. I had a, a daylight picture of him in the morning and I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, I just need to stick around a little bit longer. You know, he just shed his velvet. So I know the transitions, you know, some deer transition miles, some deer don't leave at all. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I hope this deer, when he transitions or if he transitions, he doesn't go far. And I never laid eyes on him in person once he shed his velvet. I could watch him every night, every morning when he was in velvet, but as soon as the velvet came off, whenever he shed that velvet, I never saw him in person again until the day I harvested him. Hmm. Uh, he just, I, I don't know where he went. I don't know what, you know, I had the one daylight picture of him in the morning. Um, and that was it. That was the only daylight picture I had of that deer. And he was hard one. Um, you know, everything else was at night. It, you know, sometimes it was, you know, a half hour after light, hour and a half. So I knew he's close. He's probably, you know, definitely, you know, he's not a couple miles away. I wouldn't think so. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, he's still close. I'm getting a couple pictures a week, three pictures a week, down to two, down to one, down to a couple weeks go by, nothing. And then, the, you know, I'm still hunting, you know, hoping, okay, I'm, hunting different tree stands, trying to see, okay, you know, you know, there's some beans are coming off, you know, maybe it's going to start moving deer around. Maybe I can lay eyes on them coming out into, you know, a bean field. Um, you know, we had a really wet fall this year, so no corn was coming off at all. Um, there's corn every, there's still corn everywhere. You know, this hasn't, it's still standing right now and it's almost Christmas. Um, so, um, it was, I think it was the Monday before I harvested him. Um, I got up, you know, I, I checked my camera or my email because uh, they would get sent to me every two or three hours. I get on, you know, wake up in the middle of the night, like, oh, I got to check my camera. You know, I'm scrolling through, looking, 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 and boom, there he is. He's standing, mm. looking straight at the camera, standing in the food plot, eating turnips and radishes. And that was you know, two or three weeks went by and, um, you know, I hadn't seen him. And then, you know, my immediately, it was like, you know, it's like, I got buck fever laying there in bed. Like <laughs> I started, my heart started racing. Like that, you know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, you know, he's, he's back. He's still alive. He's here. He didn't get hit on the road or anything goofy like that. Um, you know, so then it's okay. Well, I'm, I'm hunting tonight, I'm hunting tomorrow night, you know? So I, and I, <clears throat> I, I don't know if I saw him um, this night, but the night, I think it was, that was on a Monday. I think this was like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Um, I hunted a stand on kind of in the corner of this property. Um, and I saw, I drove by and I see a farmer taking off corn. He's taking it off for silage. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this cornfield, is right on the other side of the tree line from my food plot. So I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch where I can see this cornfield. And I um, 
saw a lot of action early out in the cornfield and I could see deer, you know, there's still leaves and everything on, but I could see deer all the way at the other end of this cornfield, right behind a house. I mean, when I say right behind, 30 yards from their back porch. Then the only thing separating is a little tree line. So I, you know, I'm trying to get a good look and see them. So I climb down on my stand. I walk over, you know, and there's a big down tree and a big rock. And I stand on this rock and I'm looking and I can see a deer at the other, and it's getting, you know, it's getting dark. It's past legal shooting light. And I can just see this, you know, a big frame 400 yards away. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I'm looking like that, that's gotta be him. I'm thinking it's him, but I don't know. You know, I didn't get any pictures of him. And if it was him, he would have had to have been bedded. I mean, basically right off this person's backyard. Wow. Um, and, you know, talking to some neighbors later in the year, you know, um, people stopping by my house saying, hey, I heard you shot this deer, you know, and they're showing me pictures of him. You know, I'm start, I started to realize maybe he was on that piece of property more than I thought. So it's very possible it could have been him that, that night. Um, but, um, we, you know, I didn't hunt much later in the week. Um, it was football season. Um, I think the, our team was in the playoffs. So I went to a home playoff game. And um, turns out the neighbor guy told me he saw him while he was hunting. Hmm. He's like, hey, come right out of the woods, right where your tree stands at. Come out, and, <laughs> come out in that pick cornfield. He's like, um, he's like, I grunted at him. And he turned around and ran right back in the woods, right under your stand. I'm like, no way. And then he starts showing me these trail camera pictures. I'm like, well, he's probably, probably telling the truth. Um, after putting on all, all this effort to try and get this deer, you know, I'm blowing a hunting night in late October going to a football game. So, The challenges facing deer and deer hunting are being turned into a success story thanks to the National Deer Association and its partnership with Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops, and Cabela's. Through the first year of the Improving Access Habitat and Deer Hunting on Public Lands initiative, more than 300,000 acres of public land in six states have seen market improvements. These improvements, aided by funding from the Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's Outdoor Fund, include increased hunting access, improved wildlife habitat, and hunter recruitment. This is only the start though, with this initiative's goal of impacting 1 million acres by 2026. These efforts will result in a lasting positive impact that will be felt by future generations of sportsmen and women. So I decided, you know, um, that night it was, uh, raining a little bit. Um, it was, you know, late October. I usually don't hunt much in the mornings until late October, early November. So I decided I was going to go hunting that morning. So I go in, um, you know, and I had mowed, I mow around the field edges so I can get in and out easy. Um, and, you know, I snuck into my stand and it rained that night, real quiet. I got into my stand and, um, you know, it was a pretty slow morning. You know, I saw a couple of does, uh, you know, kind of milling through the corn, not much going on. And it was, you know, 9.30, 9.45, you know, I'm getting ready to get down. I'd been on the stand for a couple hours. And I look out into this standing corn, and the, there's a lot. I call, I call it a waterway. Um, some people call it something else, but you know, basically an area where it washes out a little bit from rain and the corn doesn't grow very well. You know, it's always, it's always short. Grass ends up growing. There he is walking right at me. 
you know, 200, 250 yards right up this waterway. Um, and, you know, it's like seeing a ghost. You know, I couldn't believe my eyes. You know, I'm immediately my heart starts racing. You know, I start shaking. My hands start shaking. My legs start shaking. And I'm watching, you know, my wind's blowing towards him, but it's like kind of cutting across his face. So unless, you know, if he comes towards my left, he would come out, and, you know, in front of my wind. But as long as he stays, you know, to the right, he'd be fine. Um, so he beds down. I watch him. He beds down right off of this waterway. And I'm looking at the map. I'm looking at, you know, my the wind direction calculator. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get down because the wind's going to shift and basically come directly out of the north. Hmm. And if it, when it does that, he'll definitely, he's going to smell me. And he's, he's going to bust me. So I get down and I had cut a, this is the first year I've done this. I cut a path through a tree line. So I could, instead of having to walk all the way down around this tree line, I could just slip right through it and get out. So I climbed down, walked going into the field, cut through that tree line and was at, and, you know, got back to my vehicle and headed home. And, you know, I run home. You know, I'm calling, but, you know, I called my one buddy. I'm like, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, what do you, you go back in that stand? You know, do I try and get up in a different stand that's closer? You know, then he might see me. So, you know, I thought, you know, talking, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get on my hands and knees. It, it rained that night. It was pretty, it was decently windy, you know, 15, 20 mile an hour winds. I'm just going to get on my hands and knees and I crawl right down one of those mode paths and just try and set up to where I can see up this waterway to where if he gets up and comes out of that waterway, I'd have a shot. Um, so that's what I did. I got a little stool from my house, one of little fold out tripod stools and, you know, put it in my hand, put my bow on my back. And I literally, I mean, it took me an hour to go 200 yards, just, you know, basically one foot, you know, I was kind of on one knee and had one foot up and had my hands out in front of me and just kind of inch forward and stayed as low as I could. And at one point I got almost to the waterway and I was nervous that if I went like across that waterway, he might see me. So I decided, I'm like, well, I'm gonna go up into this cut corn or this, this corn, you know, cause it was kind of short and there's some grass. I'm like, I'm gonna get up in here and just set up in here. So I crawl up in there and I didn't like it at all. Um, it just, it was too open. I was, I just didn't like it. So I backed back out and went back down a row of corn, come back out and started all over again. Got to that waterway and just got really low and got on me. It would have been on the west side of it. I got on the west side of that waterway and just set up in the weeds along the tree line. And I just, I just sat there and I had a, that path I was crawling on. If you would have kept going about 40 more yards, there's a, uh, I have a rope scrape. Um, like I started using rope scrapes, I don't know, four or five years ago. I think I was listening to a podcast with Mark Kenyon, and uh, I think Don Higgins is the one that uses them. Um, I use real deer pee from a buddy of mine who has deer, and, you know, I soak it in pee, and, you know, the deer love it. So I'm thinking, if he gets up and he comes down this waterway, I can shoot him. If he gets up and he goes that scrape, I can shoot him. So, you know, a couple hours goes by. I'm playing, you know, looking on my phone. You know, playing games and I look up and 
there he is at 35 yards. Wow. Coming from kind of walking, angling right down that waterway, kind of angling, you know. I guess I'm facing due north. He's kind of angling southeast. And the wind's hitting him right in the back of the head. And which is crazy because everybody says, you know, deer never, especially mature deer, you know, they always move with the wind in their face. And I couldn't believe it. So he's coming left to right. And I already had myself positioned to where all I had to do was just pull the bow up and get on him. So he, uh, he stops and turns his head. Like, I don't know if he's, yeah, I think he was like licking or scratching something. Um, he, uh, when he did that, I pulled the bow up and I got to like a half crouch standing position. And cause there were some weeds in front of me. I tried to hide myself pretty good. And right. I was just getting ready to squeeze it. I had ranged him maybe to 30 yards. I was just getting ready to squeeze off the trigger and he turned and he walks right towards me. Wow. And I have the crosshairs. I'm literally looking at him right in the eyes with through the scope on my bow. And he just, you know, head bobbing. He's just walking right at me. He's getting closer. Now he's at 25 and 20 and 15. And I'm just, my legs are shaking. My arms are shaking. You know, I'm trying to stay on him. And he kind of comes through a couple years of corn. He like moved his head and he looked and he looks, he looks right into my eyes. And he stops and he kind of, you know, they probably stop and they kind of put their head up and he's just glaring right at me. And I'm, at that point, I'm like, crap, he's facing me. I'm going to have to sh- try and shoot him in the chest. Cause that was the only, op- that was the only shot. And, um, I noticed how, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting ready to squeeze off the trigger and he kind of, he positioned his back, his rear end kind of swung out to his left just a little bit positioned his legs like he was getting ready to turn and run to to his right my left and I thought to myself as soon as he spins I'm shooting and he spun and I pulled the trigger and I heard a hit and it just I mean all heck broke loose I mean the corn you know he's mowing plowing through the corn you know I'm trying to listen trying to keep myself you know you know you almost black out in that you know at that time and I immediately called a buddy of mine, my cousin. I'm like, dude, I just shot that deer. And he's like, no way. I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, I just shot him. He's like, well, well where'd you hit him? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, and I explained it. He goes, are you sure you hit him? I go, yeah, I'm sure I hit him. I'm like, I definitely heard it hit him. But I said, I don't know. You know, any, I don't know where. I said, I might have been in the rear end. It might be in the shoulder. I don't know. I'm like, well, he's like, just, he's like, don't, he's like, I know you got a lot. He's like, don't rush. He's like, just go see if you see anything. He's like, you can get out of there. I'm like, all right. So, you know, I sneak up there trying to be quiet, you know, in case he, I shot him in the butt or the shoulder and he, you know, he's standing in the corn somewhere, just kind of wondering what happened. Um, I sneak up there. I'm trying to find you. I'm like, okay, well, there's gotta be footprints from where he spun real quick and ran. I'm looking, you know, I'm frantically looking. I don't see nothing. I can't find an arrow. I can't find any hair. I can't find any blood. And I'm like, I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving. So that's what I did. I left, went home, you know, tried to just gather myself and calm myself down. And um, 
got a couple buddies, a cousin of mine, and went back over. And he, uh, we went back to where I shot. Couldn't find anything, you know. And then after looking for a little bit, you know, we, uh, you know, found blood, great blood, you know, blood trail both sides. Um, and he probably went maybe 120 yards. Uh, and, you know, he didn't make it out of the cornfield. So ended up being a double, you know, right behind the shoulder, about three inches, double long, blew right through him. Um, perfect, perfect shot without knowing it was a perfect shot. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that. Having the read shot the, was story. the shot was, I mean, the shot was lucky. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, well, there's just got lucky in a way though, because as I was reading that and then hearing you tell it, we've all been in that situation where we're either drawn or about to draw and that deer does that turn. And we know that you might have that quick opportunity. And I think that you just sort of process that at the time. And when he turned and give you the opportunity, you, you pulled the trigger. And one of the challenges with crossbow is you can't really track the arrow like you can with a longbow. Mm -hmm. And so um, you hear it and you're listening, you're just listening. And then you probably were really panicked when you weren't finding a lot of blood initially, but you did the right thing. You went, you went back out of there completely, got yourself calmed down and then you got help. Um, I don't know. There's always a little luck involved, but I think, I think that it was a little more well thought out than you even realized. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I, I mean, I have been in a scenario, you know, I've lost here before where, you know, make a marginal shot and you probably shouldn't keep pushing and you do, and then you end up bumping them out of the bed. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's no blood and then you're just grid searching and you can't find nothing. And, you know, in this scenario, when this happened to me, it, you know, I found them in March when I was shed hunting, but, uh, you know, I've had that happen before, you know, I think a lot of people's probably been in that scenario, especially if they're bow hunting, you know, where you push in, oh, you know, um, he, his pro, you know, he might, there's a little thicket up here. I bet he's up here and you go up there and then you end up bumping him or, you know, whatever the case may be. So yeah, I did not on that deer. I was not, uh, taking any chances. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's an incredible deer and even hearing you tell the story and I'm while you're telling it, I'm looking at the article with the pictures and, uh, and folks for their, or, that are listening, we'll put in the show notes, the link to the meat eater article where some of these pictures that Jason's describing are in there. I mean, just an incredible deer, um, to put it into perspective, the Hanson buck world record is 213 inches and in change. This deer is five inches from a world record. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. This is that kind of deer. Uh, and so I want to I ask you one sort of more key thing that I thought was interesting, um, because I want people to hear this to understand that, again, you can get lucky, but better to control your own luck. And I think you did that. You made the statement in one of your interviews that um, a younger version of yourself probably wouldn't have gotten this deer. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, back how, you know, when I first started bow hunting, uh, you know, I, I didn't kill my first deer with a compound until 2011, I think it was. Um, you know, so I've only been bow hunting, you know, hunting with a bow, I guess, take it for what it's worth, a bow, uh, for 12 years. Um, back then, I didn't pay any attention to the wind. You know, 
I would have grunted at the deer. I would have rattled at the deer. Um, I would have gotten down and tried to sneak right in on the deer, tried to get a shot at him while he's in his bed. You know, that thought did cross my mind. You know, man, I bet you I could crawl right up that waterway. And if I, as I stand up, you know, I could take a shot at him while he's laying down. And, you know, the thought crossed my mind. And I thought, you know what? He does not know I'm here. Uh, the scenario is perfect. I mean, he's bedded in the perfect ambush spot to just get close and wait. You know, it, it rained. Um, everything was quiet. You know, as far as me cr crawling in, the corn. Uh, you know, when you're out, go out, go out and stand in a cornfield with a little bit of wind. You can't hear much at all. So, you know, I knew like, okay, I, I can get close to this deer, but I don't want to push it. Um, and I'm going to wait. And if he gets up and walks the other way, I'll be sitting here till dark. And, I, you know, I'll never know. Um, yeah, well, I've not killed the deer, but the most important thing is he won't know I was there. You know, that's the biggest thing is, you know, that, you know, you just, if I would have tried to crawl in there, or grunted at him or rattled at him and he didn't like it or he come tried, you know, then he sent checks me. Then he knows it. He knows the gig's up. He knows I'm on to him. So, you know, I try not to let these, you know, deer hard enough to kill when they don't know you're after them. You know, when you, they know you're after them, you know, it makes it that much harder. Yeah. So. Well, you certainly put forth the right effort that was required uh, to get this deer and that's really what the difference was it, it doesn't matter what you shot it with or how far away it was you put in the effort you put yourself in position and you were able to compose yourself at that fateful moment to make the shot so uh, I, I got nothing to say but congratulations it's a, it's a pleasure for us to just hear this story and folks you can see a lot of these pictures um, in some of Jason's other pictures on his Instagram account it's J period Thomas 22 on Instagram, you can find them there. And uh, man, I, I just can't thank you enough for coming on and and uh, sharing your story with us. And man, what's next? It sounds like your wife's a heck of a hunter too, right? Yeah, she uh, she is. She likes to hunt. Um, she gets most of her, her deer hunting in in the late season, um, which for me, that's my favorite time to hunt. Um, yeah, I, I like hunting during the rut. Uh, it's action packed. You never know what's going to happen. But as far as patterning a deer, um, I like to hunt when it's brutally cold and there's snow on the ground. Um, you know, you figure out where, what fields those deer are going to at night and you get a really cold night or whatever. Uh, some snow on the ground, you know, they get on their feet early and you've got a pretty good odds of, you know, getting shot at them. Um, but yeah, that's the plan is to try and get her on a, on a deer here, you know hasn't really been cold yet this year but um, we got a little bit of snow last night and some cold weather so hopefully we can get get one on her or get her on one and then uh you know, i guess we got to look forward to uh spring turkey season here in ohio in a few months so yep, there you go well good luck to her and congratulations again yeah, to thank you, you and appreciate you coming on mm -hmm. yeah thank you as much as i love the stories that come from the guys that had no idea that a giant buck was in the area and they happened to, to get a shot on it. I mean, the Dustin Huff buck, buck was like that. We had Dustin uh, still, by the way, the record holder for the biggest typical ever taken in the United States, but that's how his buck, he didn't know that buck was there and he, he killed it. 
but I'm I'm also very impressed with these stories where a particular deer was targeted over maybe two years, multiple years, and the hunter eventually connects. And that was the story here uh, with Jason. You know, he and his wife are big time hunters. Uh, uh, yes, they are hunting some of the best areas in the country for big bucks. However, uh, you still have to do what it takes to connect. And and he did that. And so I don't know, Mike, I came away from it very impressed. Well, I did as well, because I really like when I learn something new. And his technique of knocking on doors to try and get permission to hunt. And if you get shut down too often, we turn around and say, okay, thanks uh, for your time. Appreciate it. And you walk away. But for him to ask that follow-up question, well, would it be okay if I put cameras out? That is so unique. I, I have never heard that before, but yet I think that speaks to the someone that's a good communicator, first of all, but someone that has that dedication to, I need to do what it takes to try and get as much information as I can. And I think that's a, out of the whole podcast, uh, not taking anything away from anything else, that was a pearl that I just was completely excited to, to actually learn. Yeah, the fact that he goes and if he can't hunt a property, he still may get permission to glass that property or to scout from that area. And um, yeah, I think he just didn't leave any stones unturned. And even even to the that the decisions he made to go on the ground and where he decided to set up on that deer um, and the belief that that deer was going to come the direction it did. Just the whole thing I thought was cool. Uh, I, I, you know, there are, there are obviously there are like celebrity hunters out there and people that we see that have success. And, but uh, you know, Jason, I think there's also a lot of Jason's out there. There are people I'm sure listening to this show that do just that. Like they're real pros. I mean, they are outstanding hunters who put in the extra effort and it was just cool that it really paid off in this gigantic way for Jason. His wife's a big hunter too, which is really cool. And just thinking outside the box. So um, yeah, I just, it's hard. You can't interview everybody. That's a really great hunter. You, you could, here's an example, Mike in, in Pennsylvania here uh, there, there's probably someone within an, an easy drive of my place that's killing five-year-old bucks in the Appalachian Mountains every year that none of us know about. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and a five-year-old here is not going to carry the headgear that a five-year-old in Ohio or, or you know, uh, Iowa, Kansas, pick the state, Illinois, but that's still an equally difficult challenge. And I just think there are so many really great hunters out there. I wish we could profile them all and, and pick all their brains uh, and hear their stories. Matter of fact, if you're listening to this and you're one of those people, and maybe you've always been shy about talking about it, we'd love to have you on because we want to hear your stories. We want to learn. We feel like we provide some information that can be helpful, but we're always learning too. And I learned a lot from this one. I did too. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, absolutely. So Jason, congratulations, man. Appreciate you taking the interview too, because as you'd said, you weren't taking them all. So thank you for that. Oh, Mike, speaking of you know, thinking we know a whole lot about hunting, our winter seasons, we talked about this at, in the introduction. Um, I'll just give my quick report. I, I go to Delaware between Christmas and New Year's. I did that again this year. My first morning set, I was at full draw on a doe that was coming right underneath me. And in my mind, I was in the bag in it. Like, I, this, this is done, right? But here, what happened was we got a lot of rain. And that, 
you're hunting a swamp environment and it can be a different environment from day to day. We got so much rain that it actually brought the water level up in the swamp. And so when I went in to hunt this tree that I'd never hunted in before, I kind of lost track of where I was because there was standing water back there and ended up walking right through where the deer had to cross to get to me. Well, lo and behold, that doe's coming right to me. I'm at full draw waiting for her to take one more step. She hits my boot track and that's the end of it. Happened to me twice on that hunt. So even though you know better, again, it's one of those things, winter season, you get a lot of rain in this case. You have to do, if there are a hundred things you have to do, right? You have to do at least 98 of them right to be successful in the winter. And the one thing I didn't do right was I didn't mark my trail well enough and just assumed it would be the same as it was the day before when I set the spot. Uh, and it didn't happen. Later on in the week, I had a, a really nice shooter buck that was at least in the 140s, maybe bigger, uh, at 12 yards. Couldn't get a shot. Uh, that one also ended up coming in a different direction that I wasn't anticipating because of the water. Uh, Pennsylvania, I have only gotten out a couple times, but it's been a battle with weather for me. Um, you know, wind direction not being what you expect. Uh, I had a fair amount of snow in the area I hunt. I'm not seeing buck movement at all on my camera, so they're kind of locked down. So. Anyway, it's not getting any easier for me, Mike, and I know you've been out there working at it, but you had a good hunt the other night. I did. Um, I've been out three times now, um, and more or less just because my cameras weren't showing me enough, I went in and did two observation sets and learned what I needed to learn in regards to where I needed to focus on, and the the hunt that I had that you're mentioning two nights ago, I actually saw 11. There was 11 that came out. There was a button buck that came out very early. He came out an easy hour before last light. And the rest of the deer slowly started moving out as it crept down to like the last 20 minutes, but none of them got within bow range. So a lot of easy, you know, probably muzzleloader rifle shots, but I needed them at 30 yards. And just didn't get it. So the hardest thing for me was trying to get down out of that stand and get them off the field so I could get out and still not booger them so much that it would mess up the next consecutive hunt, which is probably going to be tonight. But uh, I'm going to a different spot tonight because I need to get more intel and I'm moving in a little bit deeper because we're getting later in the season. I've got to start being more aggressive. So I'm pushing in a little bit farther tonight. Well, I hope it works out for you. I mean, one thing has been very clear to me, and this is just from trail camera data, uh, bucks have definitely, and bucks of all age classes, by the way, I was joking to the doctor when we were, before we started recording here that I finally got a buck on camera and it was this spike that walked through at like 5.30 this morning. Um, that was the first one in like three or four days. And that's any age class and bucks are just wired different. They're running so hard during the rut that they will really just slow down. The metabolism slows down. They move a lot less. Uh, they're going to be tight to some type of food source and it's hard to get close to them. Whereas the does are still willing to move around. I'm not getting as many doe pictures, but I'm getting a few. Uh, Mike, you saw, you know, a nice group there the other night. And so really my winter strategy now is to try to get close to maybe one of these does. Cause I would like to take one more doe off my property. I have one more tag. I'm in a CWD area. So I want to do my part, but uh, man, it's, it's not going to get easier. No, it's not. And one thing I want to back you up about is you got a Christmas gift, didn't you? 
you know what I did, and I almost failed to mention that. So yeah, I know if anybody's following, if anybody, I mean, I know I got a few followers on Instagram. Uh, NDA, NDA Nick P, by the way, is the handle there. Um, I posted pictures a while back on Christmas. It was actually Christmas night of a really good buck. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's four, four years old. Um, if he's three years old, he's a pretty solid three-year-old. So he's either three or four. Anyway, he's, uh, between 18 and 20 inches wide. He's got split G2s. And as I found out, uh, has a little junk started on his bases. But anyway, a really good deer that I was hoping would make it through because I think he has the potential to be an exceptional deer next year. Well, I got a picture of him feeding in front of one of my cameras. And uh, midway through the night on Christmas night, he had both of his antlers. And then at three in the morning, the day after Christmas, he was in front of that same camera missing an antler. And so I said to the doctor, I said, well, I said, one thing, I'm a little disappointed he shed, but that's okay, because I wanted him to get through. But I think I have a really good chance of finding that antler. And so uh, the, the family and I went to our camp for New Year's Eve. I was going to hunt. Uh, uh, here's a B-team story, Mike. <laughs> I didn't tell you this one. I was going to hunt New Year's Day. Uh, and so late in the evening on New Year's Eve, I figure out that I forgot my safety harness. And I, I, I haven't used a safety harness for a few weeks because I've been hunting out of my saddle. Okay. So, and I will not get in and nobody should ever get into a tree stand without a safety harness ever, ever, ever. And if I ever do that, then my choices are I either don't hunt or I hunt from the ground. And I was going to hunt a fixed position stand needing a safety harness. I forgot it. Well, it turns out the next morning it was wet snow anyway. And I don't like to hunt in wet snow because you just get soaked and your equipment gets soaked. And so I probably wouldn't have hunted, but I forgot my safety harness. So I said, you know, I'm going to go out and walk through that food plot and see if that antler's there. And sure enough, I found it pretty quickly. It was laying there in the food plot. So I do have the left side antler from that split G2 buck. So that was a nice Christmas present, Mike. And he's a nice deer. I brought that shed home and I compared it to some of the other bucks I've shot in Pennsylvania. And uh, he he's a good deer. And so yeah. I'm look, looking forward to seeing him make it through. Hopefully he hangs out and is still there for next year. Right. And you always have the chance of picking up that other side potentially. So um, it, it was just a really neat, neat story to follow along with. So just wanted to make sure everyone was aware of that one because I found it inter entertaining. Yeah, it was. So yeah, go check out my Instagram. I think it was on an Instagram story though. See, my, my wife yells at me for this because I do a lot of Instagram stories and then you can't go back and see what was actually on my feed. So I need to do better. But you can pin those things, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can. Anyway, we're all, we're assuming anybody cares what's on my Instagram, but anyway, <laughs> I did find a cool antler. And so if nothing else, I've got that. So, Hey folks, a few NDA announcements here, uh, content wise in our most recent newsletter. And it, by the way, this comes out every Thursday. It's free. If you haven't signed up, please go to deerassociation.com, get on our newsletter list. Uh, a really cool article. It's going to be a couple parts, 30 years of deer habitat management, part one, it all began with food plots. And that was by our friend, Dr. Craig Harper, uh, gets into some of the really cool history of this organization and, and how we've evolved and kind of where we think we're headed. So definitely check that out. A really, really great story. Uh, we also added five new board members to the National Deer Association. So yes, we are a nonprofit organization, which means we are governed by a board of directors. And so although I may be uh, the chief executive officer, I have actually currently, I have 18 bosses 
<laughs> so that's a lot of bosses, but they're they're great. These are all very dedicated, dear people. And uh, every year we're going to have either some turnover or some change on the board. So that's natural. But we ended up with five new board members. And so those board members are Brian Bone from Pennsylvania. He is uh, with Bone uh, Brinker at Floberg and Gleason Wealth Advisory Group at Merrill Lynch. He's out of uh, the Pittsburgh area, Pennsylvania. Uh, very big time deer hunter. Excited to have Brian on. Mark Kenyon is joining our board of directors. And you know, we just had Mark on the show, obviously, from Wired to Hunt Meat Eater. Mark's from Michigan. Chris Rockwell from the S. Kent Rockwell Foundation, also out of Pennsylvania. Chuck Sykes the director of the uh, Alabama, Alabama DCNR is uh, rejoining. He was on the old National, Deer, uh, old National Deer Alliance board. So great to have Chuck back. He's also currently the president of the Association for Fish and Wildlife Agencies. So Chuck is a good get. And Karen Waldrop, she is the chief conservation officer for Ducks Unlimited. And Karen has also got a really cool deer research history uh, and she's from Tennessee or living in Tennessee. So it's great to have that group of new leaders on board with the National Deer Association and looking forward to working with them. Uh, hey, also, it's getting into that uh, sort of early year uh, trade show travel time. We're, I'll be heading to the Archery Trade Association show uh, next week, ATA trade show, as well as uh, several other of my colleagues here from the NDA to meet with our friends and partners there and talk about sponsorships for 2024. So looking forward to getting back on the road and doing that as well. So folks, if you're out there, good luck if you're still hunting. The doctor and I aren't giving up and we hope you don't either. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.